0: So back in 2014, a gal named Luanne Brizendine wrote a book called The Female Brain, and one of her conclusions was this, pretty, may not be real surprising to you, but that women use approximately 20,000 words per day, and men use about, you have a guess? (laughs) Would you say four? (laughs) Like the number four, or 4,000? 4,000, okay. How many of you, okay, actually, it's 7,000. How many of you knew that or generally accept that as true? Women generally speak about three times as many words per day as men. Wait, I didn't see the hands. One more time. Declare yourself. No middle ground. Declare yourself. You believe? Oh, now you see, you think it's a trick, right? It's actually not true. There's no statistical, empirical evidence that that's true. There was a study, the University of Arizona did a study, and I want to read part of this study to you. I was shocked, You may be. University of Arizona, Dr. Matthias Mell. Do women talk more than men? An associate professor of the Department of Psychology shows that our perception of this gender difference cannot be proved empirically. The stereotype that women are more talkative than men is one that is fairly ingrained in our society. The chatty female and silent male are recognizable archetypes. In the first print of the female brain, Luanne Brizendine claimed that women use 20,000 words per day while men use 7,000. However, there were no studies in existence that validated that claim or showed that women actually spoke more than men. People have been doing a lot of research on gender differences in different contexts and in many contexts. Men actually talk more. For example... Work is a context where talking often indicates assertiveness and dominance. So we know talking rates in different contexts, but nobody had been able to put a number on how many words women and men use and for that sake, how many words humans use in a day. We found that there was no significant gender difference whatsoever Dr. Mill said on average women speak 16215 words per day and men speak 15669 words per day however Dr. Mill says that the mean is not the best descriptor of this description the dist- of this distribution the distribution for this study was huge one person used an estimated 795 words on average per day while another used (laughs) 47,000. And the most talkative participants were men. However, the distributions were normal for both sexes and averaged out to have no statistical difference. Are you shocked by that? Okay, what that tells me is this message is for everyone in the room. This is not just for the ladies, because guess what, guys? We talk just as much, just in different ways and different contexts. Okay, so we're talking about communication, this ability to speak. I mean, a great gift from God. We're not like the animals. I mean, they can make some noises and they say that whales, you know, send sonar sounds and this and that. We're able to communicate feelings. We're able to communicate thoughts. We're able to do research, communicate with one another. It's a great gift from God, right? We're special and uniquely created by God to be able to verbally communicate in the ways that we do. But we understand that with that comes a great gift responsibility and privilege, because words are very powerful. And that's really the first point. Words are powerful. In Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So we've all experienced this truth, right? That words are powerful, and sometimes they wound and cut very, very deeply, and other times they're very helpful and encouraging. So they can unleash a world of help or a world of hurt. Right. Have you experienced both sides of that? Very, very encouraging. Deeply encouraging and lifting of your spirit. A phrase, a quick conversation, a note from somebody, a text from somebody. Those words can change your whole day or they can destroy your day. Or years of your life or cause great division in friendships and in families. Words are exceedingly powerful so we're going to look into the proverbs Start in the proverbs we're going to kind of continue all the way through with proverbs because we're in this series and we can learn a lot from king solomon and the wisdom that god gave him words are powerful so a couple points you know the first is we need to just avoid destructive words just need to avoid them we need to understand what they are and then we need to just walk <laughs> on the other side we need to make sure that we're not using destructive words and here's some help from three proverbs proverbs 12:22 says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. Proverbs 17: Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 12:18 There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So the first one, they're lying lips. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. That's pretty strong language. Lying, exaggerating, misleading, white lies, all misrepresenting the truth in some way. Either they come out of our mouth and they misrepresent the truth about someone or something, or they come to us and they aren't representing truth. And they're manipulative, aren't they? Why would someone lie? Because they're trying to manipulate the impression that you have about something or someone. Why would we lie? We're trying to manipulate the perception they think they ha- we think they have about us or someone else or some event and we're trying to create the impression, create the perception we want so we can be tempted to misrepresent the truth and to lie. When it comes at us, someone's in a con- you know, we're in a conversation and we're tempted to lie. It's usually when we feel cornered or embarrassed or fearful or insecure in some way. Someone's saying something we weren't ready for. They asked us a question, we feel put on the spot. We're worried about how they're going to receive the answer so we try to adjust it a little bit because we want a good response, right? We want them to think well of us. We actually want them to think better of us than when they walk into the conversation. If they can leave thinking better about us, not worse or not questioning. And so the temptation's there because we fear man more than we fear God in those moments. We're fearful what they would think or say to someone else about us or how it would affect the relationship. So we're tempted out of fear, out of insecurity, but the more we believe in God, the more we believe in who God says we are, the more we're peaceful with the identity that he says we are as children of God, the more secure you feel in your identity as a child of God, the less tempted you'll be to, to lie or to misrepresent because you're secure. You're not really thinking about their perceptions of you because you're, you're good with Whatever people think, because you know what God says. What God says is that you've been blood bought by the blood of Christ, that he brought you back into his family and forgave every sin, that you don't have to measure up and be good enough for God. He already said you're not. So once you kind of square with that fact completely, and he goes, but don't worry, that's why Jesus came, to take care of your wrongs and your sin, to bring you back. It's not about your performance. It's not about your appearance and your intelligence and your IQ or your EQ or your any Q. It's about, I love you. I want you back. My son came into this world to rescue you back. You're on the bottom of the ocean. There's no hope you're getting up. It's 300 feet down. You're out of air. My son had to come down and rescue you. Right? It had no hope. But now you have hope. Now you have an eternal hope. The promise of Christ. The love of Christ. That will never fail. That you can't be separated from. Your worst sin cannot separate you from the love of God unless you don't receive Christ. And that's, that's a sin among many in the worst. But when you receive Christ, he forgives you of your past sin, your presence, and your future sin. You're a son or his daughter now. You're in a huge identity. Instead of an identity crisis, you have identity confidence. But it's not what anyone else says about you or doesn't say about you. It's what Jesus declared when he declared you as a son or as a daughter, the day, the moment you placed your faith in Christ and asked him to forgive your sin and come into your life. So you don't have to fall into lying lips because you understand your identity. You don't have to be fearful of the world. You don't have to be fearful of the other shoe that will drop in your life. You don't have to try to misrepresent to get ahead, to get the promotion, to get into the open door. You don't have to do any of that because you realize I have a God who's providing for me, who said he always will, a God who filled his love letter his bible his book full of promises for me to live on and count on i don't have to live with any of those kinds of fears the perfect love of god casts out all fear so we don't have to lie we do sometimes we feel very tempted to we just tell god wow there i go again forgive me lord but we don't have to Because we have an identity in Christ, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, don't gossip. Gossip destroys friendships and reputations when we repeat a matter. That's what that is saying in 17.9 there. You can cover an offense with love, or you can let that bother you and get under your skin, and then you start repeating what that person did to you or said to you to someone else. Instead of what the Bible says in Matthew 18, that you go privately to that person, not to wound them, because you should have prayed first, (laughs) And you should try to go to restore the relationship and bring healing, not further hurt, not retaliating, not letting them have a piece of your mind because you probably can't afford to give them that piece, right? That's a joke. You can't afford to give them any of your mind. Keep it all. Let God renew the whole thing. Anyway, just go and love. And if you do what the Bible says, they may not agree, but now you're at peace. You've shared the hurt. You don't have to gossip to a bunch of other people about the hurt and what they did or didn't do or said. You actually be free from having to feel like you're policing their life and your life and their reputation with other people. You don't have to try to manipulate others' conclusions about that person or you. You can be be more at peace. And instead of gossip coming from you and dividing friendships or family members, you can say, Lord... 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not easily hurt. Why is my love so easily hurt? Why is it so easily hurt? A a little offense, and I want to just, ugh, that person, right? And avoid them, speak negative, gossip about them, give them the cold shoulder, not go give them an extra donut in the lobby. Like, you know, you just, you just, you don't want to, and you don't have to, and you feel like you hold on to your rights, they hurt you. And Jesus says, you give up your rights. I gave up my rights of having all the glories of heaven and coming down and being crucified for you so you could have life. Not just give people that same grace and forgiveness. Don't try to tear them down to their face or to another person. Handle those hurts biblically. And I want to encourage you, you know. Some may think, well, but I want to bounce it off somebody. Well, this gets tricky. I mean, Proverbs does say get the counsel of godly men. Make sure they're a godly man or woman. And I would pick one. You know why people pick a lot of counselors and they end up gossiping to what they say? Oh, I'm just getting godly counsel. Really what they're doing, because they'll use names and they'll tell the whole story. So they're trying to build up their army against the person. They want to feel right. They want to feel like, by golly, I have a right to be so angry. Never talk to them again. They're trying to build their case and their ammunition. And it's not of God. The anger of men will not accomplish the righteousness of God. You're going to accomplish your anger, and it's death-giving. It's not life-giving. It's going to bring cancer and poison into your own heart. So one person who knows the Lord, and there's maturity there, and you don't even have to use names. You just go to that person and say, this happened, I'm struggling, I'm not sure what I should do, or what the best response would be. Or, you know, can you give me some biblical wisdom on this? You know, or trusted, you know, pastor who will keep things, you know, confidential that way. But I want to let you know right now, this is what you do. So you never have to question it. You don't have to go get seek counsel on this. I mean, unless you forget what I say, then go seek counsel, and then hopefully hear the same thing I'm about to tell you. Go to the person privately yourself. Period. You pray. You say, "Do I have love?" in my heart, God, for them because I'm supposed to. If not, you keep praying until you actually can go with love in your heart to them. Yes, maybe what they did was wrong and sinful, but you're going to restore and edify and encourage them, not just you know, have your day in court and read them the riot act. You're going to heal. You're going to express that did hurt. I did feel this from you, and I wanted you to know. And I have prayed for you. You should be able to go and say, I've been praying for you and for me about this situation because I've been really hurt. And that's why I wasn't around for the last, don't make it years, days, okay? Not years. I've heard some, like, separated for years from family members, years, Never go to their grave, no reconciliation, none, zero, not even a a hope of that because they wouldn't forgive like they've been forgiven. Because Jesus says, right, you can't have life in him unless you are forgiven by God and give it to one another. And if you've been forgiven by God, you must give it to one another. So you go privately. You go with love in your heart. You let them know that you've been praying about them or the situation, and you're coming to be honest because you want the relationship to continue. You're not looking for it to end. Now I realize some situations, if if it's gone to extreme abuse or even physical abuse, you might need to not have the friendship. But it's not because you hate them. It's not because you wish bad. You're going to try to retaliate. You wanted to let them know where your heart was at, and it could be wise to have a boundary there. Okay, because some people often follow up and say, so are you saying I need to go back into this abusive situation and whatnot? The Lord will lead you. Be cautious, be loving. Let him know there's no hatred and anger in your heart. That could be the very thing that points them back to Jesus or maybe to Jesus for the first time. Because you're representing the gospel of Christ when you do that. Very powerful when you do it. You may not choose to, and you may stay in your hurt and in your anger, and no way would I ever, because you don't want them to what? Have the grace that you received? You don't want them for, that for them? They're in the grip of the enemy, possibly, and you don't want them to be freed? You'd like them to stay in the grip of the enemy? Do you remember what it's like yourself to be in the grip of the enemy? It's no fun, right? When sin's getting the best of you, and it's starting to destroy an area? That stinks. Thought of a stronger word. I'm glad I used stinks. It's horrible. You remember it for yourself, right? Did you think you've always walked with God in such incredible freedom? Or did you ever really walk in a a way that was really dishonoring to God and the enemy had an advantage? Well, if that's where they're at, you can have compassion because you remember. Because you may still be there right now. So Lord, please, may the compassion and mercy I get from you just be extended to others. That's how you handle hurt so it doesn't turn to gossip. How many people should you share it with? not your group, not your friend group when you all go out somewhere or Facebook, (laughs) nasty bad, right? Pray, ask God to bring healing. Seek a time to communicate your feelings privately and in love. Rash words, let's move on to that. Rash words wound people, right? There's so much cyberbullying going on these days. People can hide behind some anonymous identity, right? And they attack others. They attack people that are beautiful. They attack people they think aren't beautiful. Like you can get attacked for anything. Oh, you like soup. Guess what? That's so dumb, right? It's like people just feel like I have to attack. I have to be critical, judgmental, because it makes me feel empowered. Isn't that crazy? That's our world these days. I will, I will criticize them because of their race. I will criticize them because of the color of their skin. I'll criticize them because they're on the other side of the aisle politically than me. I will criticize them, criticize them, criticize them, you know. And it's because we're in this world that every bite you take is a criticism. Well, I don't know. That's a little salty. Don't you think, honey? What did you think? Yeah, maybe they shouldn't. And we, we criticize the next bite, and we, we want to analyze the movie and every part of the movie and all the music in the movie and the clothes, and that doesn't feel right, and that doesn't look, and do I look skinny yet, or do I, you know, we're just judging and sizing and measuring everything. Then it comes to people. We judge in size and size them up. And actually it's sizing them down because that's what we hope. We hope we can size them down into the ground and be higher and better. And scripture is directly opposite. It couldn't, there couldn't be a greater contrast. Directly opposite. Lift one another up. Encourage one another. Right? Bring the best out in that person. Don't be thinking of your own interests only, but put their interests above your own. Honor them. That's what Jesus does for us all the time. He would have every right to nitpick over every sin, but he said, I forgave it all. So you're free. And to think about, all well, this sin and that sin, and oh, God must not love me, and this is horrible, and I'm such a bad Christian. He goes like, no, you're a son and you're a daughter, and you're stumbling in this area because you're not listening to me. Now listen more. Here's the path. Walk in it. It'll correct. You'll be fine. I'll heal you of those wounds. You don't have to live in the wounds, I'll bring healing, just follow me now. And then we don't communicate words out of our wounds. You've heard that phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, people that have been hurt by others' words in the past or other actions. Until they get that healing from the Lord, they turn and their words and actions hurt others because they're so hurt. That should give you compassion for people. Why are they so mean? Why do they hurt? Why do they say things like that? A lot of that, and this isn't to shift the blame, they still have responsibility. But to give you an appreciation, oh, they grew up in an environment like that. Oh, they grew up in a divorced home or a a really nasty home or, or whatever situation. Oh, maybe that's, they still have responsibility. I still have responsibility. You still have responsibility. But when you get more understanding, you have more compassion. And that's what God keeps giving us. He just wants us to go represent Him better with our words. Verbal abuse, bullying, hatred, racism, bigotry, all those things come through our words and often our actions. Got to be careful because our tongue is that powerful, isn't it? James reminded us of that. In James chapter 3, it says, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set... Your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. You've felt the poison of other tongues toward you, but have you admitted that your tongue can be poisonous toward others? Once you just admit it, that yeah, it can be. I don't want it to be, but yeah, it's true. Or because I've received so much poison, I just dish it out. But Lord, you've got to change that whole pattern in me. My tongue can set people's life on fire in a bad, negative way. And I've got to be very, very cautious. Because I can't tame it. Because this says I can never tame it in my own strength. Who can tame the tongue, you guys? God himself. He's the only one that can tame your tongue and my tongue. He's the only one that can give us by the Holy Spirit because one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Tongue control. (laughs) Only the Holy Spirit of God, God working in you, can change what comes out your mouth. So you're in great shape. So am I. We just have to say, God, help me with my tongue. I can't tame it. I can't tame it. I bring a world to hurt. I set things on fire. I can't do this. God, but you can. You need to help me. So words are powerful. We avoid the destructive ones. And we speak the life-giving ones. But there's one little... i want to take a little halftime break and talk about listening more. So that's actually the second point. Okay? Listen more. Listen more. Proverbs 18:13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And then Proverbs 21 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. If you want to keep yourself out of trouble, what do you do? You listen more. That's what it says. (laughs) This is a really easy one to teach. If you'd like more trouble, keep speaking and speak more. (laughs) If you'd like to welcome more trouble in your life, be a person that speaks and overspeaks. Just go for that. He's like, no, I don't want any more trouble. Okay, duh. Then speak less. Listen more. Like, become a person who really listens carefully. Make it an art form. Lean in with your face, your eyes, your body. Let the person that you're talking to, you really are interested in what they're saying. You're not going to interrupt them because it's not about what you want to say, it's about what? What they're saying. You want to understand so you can follow up with a question and they're like, well, okay, so what happened then? But wait, wait, did you... Well, how did that make you feel? Or you mirror back what they said. Okay, so when that happened, that happened. So like, what did you? You're actually engaged. Like, that person is going to feel like, Proverbs says, you know, you throw a bucket down, you're drawing out the deep waters. You keep throwing the bucket in, you keep drawing them out. People feel, have you ever had that happen to you? Where someone really cares enough, it's like they have nothing else in the world to do except listen to you and have a good conversation. What does that feel like to you? I think it's one of the greatest feelings for a human being to have. Do you know God has done that with you and he speaks to you and he listens to our needs? But to have another person do that? It's really rare these days. People are so busy. They got a screen in front of them of some size all the time. They got too many things going on. They're busy and stressed and anxious and flying around. I mean, I'll give you a second, but like, and I'll give you more than a second if you can help me with my stuff. But just to literally put your stuff aside and listen and lean in and eye contact and... Not look for the opportunity to say, oh, that reminds me. Yeah, I went on a camping trip like that once. That was so awesome. Yeah, we, we all had our RVs. and was just like, did I tell you about that when I caught the fish? Yeah, it was so great. And all of a sudden, we're like 10 minutes into our own story, and the person's to get deflated, more deflated, more deflated, more They actually just concluded. It's like, yeah, you don't, you just never came to listen. You didn't ask me because you really wanted to know. For some reason, you wanted just to ask a quick question so you'd have an audience for yourself. That would be weird, right? No one wants to feel like you're just an an audience but if you listen and you engage and you start drawing them out asking some really good questions like instead of like how's your day good you good great done how's your day tell me about it you have nothing else to do you put stuff down and you have your laptop in your lap you close your laptop you take your phone and you do this wait hold on a second let me turn my phone off they fall over dead <laughs> So then you might need to give him CPR, so be ready. Wait, hold on. Let me turn my phone off. Let me shut the... La- let, me, let me, like, show you there's nothing more important than this. You may think, oh, well, they'll take advantage of me. Really, is that your concern, that you got something else more important? Then you should pray about that. Like, I'm more, you're most important to me. We've gotten so technologically advanced that human beings don't matter as much as accomplishment, pride, ego moving ahead, hey, I got a person right in front of me, and in fact, they look sad, and I I should give them extra, they look pretty stressed out, because just remember, people these days, they wear the badge of busy, the busy badge is one of the greatest badges people wear, if they can keep saying to anyone, says, how you doing, I'm busy, crazy, nuts, nuts, out of control, worst season, boy, it's incredible, because it makes them feel important and significant. Everyone wants to feel significant. Okay, but when you don't wear the badge of busy and you show that you want to give time and you're going to listen, all of a sudden they feel very, very honored. And you ask a follow-up question or two, you give them more than about five minutes of your time, they're going to feel like they just won the love lottery. They're going to feel like they're going to thank God. Because there's a human being that slowed down and loved them and cared for them and wasn't looking to interrupt and get their two cents in. Wasn't looking to finish and fix. Finish and fix. Why? Because I don't really have time for you right now. You interrupted me. Finish and fix. Finish and fix. I think guys may be a little more like that than ladies. I don't know. Don't finish and fix. Listen. Draw out. Hear their heart. Get to the hurt or get to the fear or get to the excitement because it's down there. There's a fear that's driving them. There's an excitement they want to celebrate with somebody. There's a story they want to tell. Everyone's got a story—the big S story and the little S stories through today. All you have to do is just ask. Really, tell me about that. If you live in Moore Park? Are you live in Moore Park? You love it? Would you tell me about it? Like just ask that question instead of just quick answer yes/no questions. Listen more. We're foolish and full of folly when we. Give an answer before we've heard. Really listen. And there are some people in this room that go, like, I, I'm I don't talk much at all. You might listen very well, but you might not. Sometimes people that are very, very quiet, they're okay. Well, I know that they're observers. They're observing everything in the environment, they're observing you, all that's going on. They just don't talk much, right? But they're observing, observing, observing. The challenge is if that's you, if you're like, oh, I'm just generally quiet anyway, I guess that second point wasn't for me, I'd say make sure your listening leads to affirmation. You're taking in that much about a person. You're watching them at work or in the home or in your neighborhood or whatever. You're you're just quiet all the time because you're observing. Then you know what? You should be able to observe so many good things to bring up about them and how they work and how they parent and how they loved you as a spouse, and how your neighbor does this. Just start building a wealth of things. When it is time for you to speak, you're ready to go. And you unleash a torrent of good, exciting, affirmative words because you're observing so much. I would hope that your quietness isn't because you're so critical and judgmental and you're sizing people up all the time and measuring them and pushing them down. If you're quiet, let it be because you're gathering things that God could put on your heart to affirm and to encourage. Does that make sense? So if you speak too much, button it, right? (laughs) Like just you have two ears and one tongue. Listen well, listen long, listen better. But if you're very, very quiet, then in all that listening that you've gotten accustomed to, pull those observations into words of encouragement to speak truth, to speak the things of God to that person, to say, you know, I've watched you do this. Or when you do this, you're great at this the way you love the grandkids, the way you love the kids, the way you did this, or you're just awesome at that. Like, I don't know if there's anyone better I've ever seen. Because remember, they know you don't speak much, so you observe a lot. So when those words come out, man, make them count. Yeah? So I don't know which side you're on, but we can surely listen more and then speak. And here's our third point. Speak life-giving words. Speak life-giving words. Proverbs 10:11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And then lastly, Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So we're told about a good word, a gracious word, and a soft word. A good word brings gladness, pleasantness. It's agreeable. It's, it's lifting. It's, it's not pointing out what's not there. It's not pointing out the other side. Well, just so you know, you know the other side of that is like negative Nelly all the time, right? It's, you're, you're looking for the good to say. The world's full of negative. The world's always tearing down. The world's always saying, oh, well, yeah, but you know. It's always the other foot, uh, shoe that's going to drop. It's like, no, we can be a person of good words because people need good words. They need gladness in their heart. How does that come about? Someone like you or me pointing them to the goodness of God, having something good and pleasant and agreeable and lifting to say. One thing we know about just about everybody in our spheres of influence is they're anxious and stressed by life. Would you agree? They're weighed down. There's heavy, hard, or really nasty things they're dealing with. That's just about, I don't know anyone, it's just like, oh, they've just been in years of calm. Sunny days, no storms, gentle breezes in their sails, moving along just, you know, skippingly, wonderfully. It's like, no, people have stress, they're anxious, they're fearful, they're upset, they're anxious. Whatever's going on. So your good words actually bring gladness to their heart. How do you do that? How do you speak affirming words, good words? You think of their skills or their talents or their abilities in some way. And you let them know that you see those. They're seen. And what they do is seen by you. And you think it's awesome that they can do this or that because you can't. Usually you'll see things in contrast to yourself. Like, oh, dude, you're so funny. Like, thanks for always bringing joy. You said that to someone? Just that one little thing like that? Like, Seriously, like, how powerful is that? Like, thanks for being, like, so organized. Like, I lose stuff constantly. Or you're so, and you, you're, you're lifting some part of who they are in relief. You're lifting it up and giving praise to God. You th- or you thank them for it, how it's impacted you, how it reflects something of God, their creativity, or their, their smarts, or their whatever. Yeah, and you like their shoes? Tell them, that's cool. Life's more than shoes, but shoes are cool, I guess, if you like them. <laughs> I wear the same shoes all the time anyway. Don't notice, though. Please don't notice. <laughs> Just find ways to encourage your heart. Glad, good words. And then something that really hit me is smile. Just smile. You look at someone's smile, right? When I look out and I see you guys smile once in a while, I'm like, sweet, they're with me. At least they're not sleeping. Smiling's better than sleeping. I mean, you give me a nod and a smile. Or if I ever hear an amen, if I fall over, right? But, you know, it's just like, when someone smiles, you realize registering. I'm registering with them. They're not often their stuff and their anxiety and their whatever. You're eyeballing them. You you allow the joy of the Lord. Joy's a choice. If we're focused just on our stuff and our busyness and our craziness and not on people, we usually don't smile. We're in a hurry. But when you smile because you slow down, you've looked into their face, you're listening, you can share something of the goodness of God to you or even something you're struggling with about how God's helping you and you smile, it picks their head up. If you feel like people's heads are down a lot of the time, their countenance is down, I think so. Most of the time, you're in line with someone. You could say a kind word. You could think of something. And if you're in line and you're just like, "No, I got to get on my phone. Are you kidding? I got to check my emails." And just, it's gonna be, and I wish they'd hurry up more. And, you know, you got other human beings around you. You could say something. You could. I know the temptation, but you could, and you could ask God, "Put my phone away. I want to look at someone and smile. I might just smile, maybe." Want to try to smile. want <laughs> to try and give him my best shot." It's like, "Ah, it doesn't matter. The appointment will wait. You just figure out something. Ask God for something, or just go like so. How are you? We've forgotten to do that. We're too busy. So a smile, a good word. A gracious word. It's like, honey, honeycomb. How many you put honey in your tea? That makes the tea, right? I know some don't, because you know but I, honeycomb. It's sweet. Words can either be sweet or they can be bitter. Words can be hurtful or they can be helpful. They can be destructive or they can be constructive. And gracious words, words that people don't see coming because they don't feel like they deserve it. They said something nasty, they weren't real nice, and you come back with grace. You come back with kindness. That's like honeycomb. That helps heal their body or their soul. It's sweet to them. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. They just said this. They're nasty. I just look at my own heart and just go like, yeah, I do that to God. And he just gives me sweetness back. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, compassion. He just pours that out on me. How about you? Do you realize how much God does that for you? Do you realize whole days you even forget that he exists? I'm not saying as a condemnation, but that's just true. Like A lot of times we just go through days or weeks without even really thanking God or worshiping him from our heart. And we just, okay, but he's still there and he still has love for us. We Oh, golly, Lord, I'm sorry. I get so crazy, busy, right? So nuts, so forgetful. So he understands, but then he forgives and then he gives us new strength. So we can give that to others. We can give grace when we've been hurt, right? By the power of the Spirit. Because his love is not easily wounded. So if I have his love in me, I can give grace and compassion, forgiveness, just like he did. Even when he was hanging on a cross, he looked down at his accusers and those that put him there. Those that are mocking him said, Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. And I, I've had trouble understanding that sometimes. And the pastor goes, yeah, they know what they're doing. They're They're killing you. They know exactly what they're doing. They're killing you. But he's saying kind of beyond that. But if they knew I was really God in flesh willing to rescue them and forgive their sin and bring them back to God, they wouldn't. That's what he's praying to the Father. If they really knew the truth, they're caught in a lie. They're caught in the grip of Satan. They've nailed me up here because Satan's gaining an advantage in their life, and this is a sinful choice. But God, you know that you love them, and you want them to come back. Forgive them, God, of this sin. Can't we do that with others? Haven't we said that to God enough ourselves? Maybe we need to do it a few more years. I don't know. I hope not. I, don't hope, I hope you don't have to hit that wall. I guess. I don't know. I guess that's what's needed for all of us is that we finally just go like, God, everything I have is by your grace. Everything I have is a gift. All of my hurts and disappointments and sin against you, you have chosen to remove from me. It doesn't label me. It doesn't weigh me down. It's not my identity. It's been taken. It's forgiven. Do you know that? When you know that, you just live out that same love to others, and it comes out your words. Because the contents of the heart, out of the contents of the heart, you know the rest of the verse? The mouth, out of what's here, the mouth speaks. If stuff that's coming out here is no bueno, not good, bad, destructive, then you know there's an issue of the heart. Get back to the heart. Let God forgive, give mercy and compassion, forgiveness of the heart. Keep getting that from God each day, not just once, not a one-time deal, just each day. And then your words, each day will be life-giving. They'll be gracious, not what people deserve. Just like God doesn't give us what we deserve, he gave us a gift of forgiveness and life. And then we'll have soft words as well. Good words, gracious words, and soft words. And soft words turn away wrath. They bring peace. When someone's really frustrated about a situation or maybe about you, Maybe they're accusing, maybe they're whatever. Soft words lower the volume. and They probably do need to talk to you and express something, but not at the volume, not the screaming, not with bad words, not with destructive words, but with words that are explaining where the hurt's coming from. And if you respond with kindness and with soft words, and you're not defensive, and you're trying to seek to understand what made them so upset about the situation or maybe about you, either way, then all of a sudden, you'll actually make some progress in the conversation. A soft word turns away the wrath because the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. But when the wrath settles and you ex- explain the anger or the feeling, whatever's going on in the disagreement, then understanding can be reached. Then healing's promoted. Then you can agree to disagree at times, give forgiveness, say, I'm sorry two great words in the human language we should use more often. I'm sorry or please forgive me. That's three, so use either one. And just say, God, please have your way in this relationship and bring restoration. Bring healing. I think that's plenty to work on. And it's life-giving. It's life-giving. And it builds people. And it encourages people around you. It doesn't tear them down, put them in their place, correct the wrongs in your own mind and change people's perceptions. You leave all that to God. Just be someone who says, Lord, let me be that fountain, right, that hydrates. That was that first verse. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. It splashes over on people. Good, gracious, merciful, compassionate words, affirming words. They spill over. They splash life, not death, onto people. Receive it from God. Give it to others. So we avoid destructive words, listen more, here's the review, listen more, and speak life-giving words. So now let's talk to God about what we just learned, right? So we're going to have an opportunity just to pray. I'll lead us with a couple thoughts, but now it's just your, your time from your heart to speak to God. And if there's anything to confess, do that. Because he loves you and he's ready to forgive you. He's not condemning or damning anyone here. He just wants you to go like, oh yeah, I've been doing that. Forgive me, Lord. Sorry. And then just ask him for the strength to apply what you've learned today. You ready? Jason's going to come out. We're going to have some worship. We'll have a couple baptisms, which is a huge way to lift up and praise the Lord as well. So let's pray. You ready? You ready? Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your living word. You spoke to us through creation. You're speaking to us through your Son and through your Holy Spirit. Through the promises of your word, God, you keep speaking goodness and grace, forgiveness and life to us. It's constant, God. You're speaking those things to us even now. We're so unworthy, Lord, of that kind of grace that good communication from you about our identity in you, affirming words of life in our future that are in Christ, encouragement because we're blood-bought, we're given courage to face trials and difficulties in life and do it your way. Thank you, Lord, for all those strengths and promises you give us. i just talk to him from your heart. Ask him to change your heart so that it would come out in your mouth. Ask him to heal you of the wounds of others' hurtful words in your past or present. Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Father, help us to keep repeating those words, your words to those that might hurt or speak harshly or untruths about us or to us. Lord, we've done it to others. We understand, but now strengthen us To respond with grace, to respond with good and soft words that truly reflect that our heart has been changed by Christ and filled with his love. Lord, just keep growing us in this area. May we each become a fountain of life-giving words.